learn from truck crash investigations? I'm Jim Park. This is HGT Talks Trucking, Season 4, Episode Number 1. Who wouldn't want to prevent a truck crash if they could? Apart from the calamity and the often tragic consequences of a crash, the other tragedy is that most truck crashes go uninvestigated. The investigations that are performed usually aren't treated as learning tools. Police accident teams just don't have the resources to dig into the root causes of most crashes, but the National Transportation Safety Board does, and it has investigated dozens of incidents over the years. NTSB is unique in that it doesn't assign blame for a crash. It looks for causal factors. And much has been learned over the years thanks to people like our guest, Robert Molloy. He's the director of the Office for Highway Safety at NTSB. On this episode, Rob explains why the NTSB investigates some highway truck crashes and not others, and we'll also dig into two specific incidents that yielded some interesting findings. We'll be right back after this. This episode is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, a unique networking event where fleet managers and suppliers connect and collaborate. HDTX 2021 takes place May 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to learn more. Uh, we're talking today with Rob Malloy. He's the, the uh, director for the Office of Highway Safety at NTSB. Uh, Rob, thanks for joining us on HDT Talks Trucking. Pleasure to have you here. Jim, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. I've been wanting to have this conversation for quite some time, and I have to confess, I'm a bit of an uh, accident investigation junkie. Uh, I love watching those uh, TV shows about um, air crash investigations. I love reading the NTSB accident reports. There's fascinating material to be gleaned from those things. I don't think we make, uh, broadly speaking, good enough use of them, uh, you know, post-accident to, uh, you know, try and mend our evil ways, as it were. When it comes to truck uh, incidents, truck crashes, um, how does NTSB, I mean, you haven't been investigating truck crashes as long as you've been doing air and marine and rail and what have you. What is it about, or what is it about particular truck crashes that uh, makes NTSB decide to get involved and have a deeper look? Uh, this is a good question, Jim. I think, you know, to start off one, since the board was uh, inception, its inception in 1968, we actually have been investigating, you know, commercial bus crashes, uh, truck crashes. Um, you know, we just don't do uh, a very large amount of them just because of limited resources we have. Mm -hmm. And so how we decide what to pick up is, you know, sometimes it's, you know, the crash is so big that there's national interest in, you know, we need to do something about this safety issue. And by allowing us to look, we can, you know, help dispel myths of what might have happened or find safety issues where we can prevent that from happening in the future. Um, you know, one thing is we certainly have a few things that we have on our most wanted lists of safety improvements we'd like to see. And sometimes we see a crash that we think would highlight the benefits of that um, safety improvement and how it could be effective in, in preventing future crashes. Mm -hmm. So that sometimes is a criteria we choose also. Um, and it, it could be something we haven't looked at for a while, you know, that uh if it's maybe in a work zone area and we haven't done a work zone crash for a while, we'll, we'll pick that up. So it's really, you know, have we, is there real national interest and concern about this as a safety issue? Uh, is it a recurring issue that we haven't addressed in a long while? Uh, and is it something that we really would have added input 
uh, you know, a lot of police departments across the country will do investigations. You know, what is our kind of role in advancing safety through this crash, and can we do that? I would, I would say from you know, some of the reports I've read over the years, um, especially in the aviation side, I'm a, I'm a pilot and have an interest in that. Uh, a lot of the investigations that, you know, higher profile ones uh, usually have uh, some unusual cause. Uh, you folks dig deep to find that out. When it comes to truck crashes, I, I, I don't want to downplay the uh, significance of them, but some of them. Are, are pretty routine. Um, you know, a, a work zone collision, for example, they happen all the time. Uh, truck piles into the back of a line of parked cars, as tragic as it is. Um, what can you learn from something like that, that you, that we didn't already know before? Well, I think, you know, that's a good point to make because I think a lot of people sometimes think about human error, you know, the driver, uh, you know, broke the law or, or did something, uh, illegal that caused the crash, um, or it was just driver fault completely. And that's where we go beyond just trying to say there was someone at fault and not just stick with, you know, the driver made a mistake, but really look at all the factors that may have affected the driver. Um, and that's why we'll look at the roadway design and, and, and the signage they had to deal with where they properly informed as they approached, you know, as they were driving. Um, was the weather a factor? Was the design of the vehicle they were driving, did that kind of create a, an opportunity for an error? Um, you know, were the rules they were operating under uh, designed to improve safety or were they doing things that were unsafe? You know, when we look at all that together and, and that's where you really find possibilities for safety improvement. When you just say a driver messed up, uh, we really kind of stopped the whole concept of safety improvement. We're able to say, well, that was just the driver. For me, it would never happen. And the reality is a lot of the things that would affect that driver will affect me also. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant by the routine nature of these things. That, uh, distraction, fatigue, uh, I don't know how much roadway design has to do with it. Maybe, you know, you've got some insight on that. But uh, generally speaking, do you think, industry, either the trucking industry or the road construction industry or whoever else might be tangentially involved in some of these crashes, uh, take your findings seriously enough at the end of the day? Actually, I, I think they do. I, you know, again, that's, that's the great thing about um, the work that I do is, you know, I come from a research background where you sort of suggest these might be some good ideas to, you know, I actually see recommendations that we make get implemented. And again, I think the organizations working in the area um, are really trying to improve safety. Some just don't know how. Some aren't seeing the big picture of how everything uh, interacts uh, with regard to how the rules and the, and the drivers kind of choices they make and, and the vehicles all interact. Um, you know, but I think people are trying. There are certainly those um, companies uh, and entities that, that really are not focused on safety. I think they're in the minority. Um, and I think most people are trying to improve and sometimes just don't know the path forward. That seems fair. Um, on this podcast today, we're going to talk about two specific incidents that I dug out of the uh, NTSB archives that I found interesting. Uh, so in the second half coming up after the break, we're going to talk about the uh, collision that took place uh, in Miami, Oklahoma. I believe it was 2009 uh, truck 
uh, rear-ended a line of stopped cars uh, on the middle of an open highway, uh, caused quite a number of fatalities, and it was a pretty serious crash. We'll dig into that a little bit uh, in the second half, but uh, right now I want to talk about one that would, you know, would shouldn't have even made the radar screen. It's such a minor, minor incident, uh, but NTSB decided to take a look at it. And this was a collision that took place in uh, in Las Vegas uh, between a tractor trailer and an autonomous shuttle bus. Uh, briefly, uh, the truck was trying to make an alley docking maneuver, uh, and it was uh, in the process of making this alley dock, uh, and was at one point, I guess, the truck itself was on a 90-degree angle to the trailer, so the driver had limited visibility as to what was coming down the road. And meanwhile, this autonomous shuttle bus was approaching the truck that was making this backing maneuver into the alley. Your investigation showed that the truck, or the, the shuttle, was aware of what the truck was, that the, well, I should say, that was aware that the truck was there, but basically proceeded to get up way too close to the truck before it actually stopped, resulting in what amounts to basically even a, a fender bender. Didn't even bend the fender, it just marked the fender. Why did NTSB look at this one before we start getting into some of the details of that uh, particular incident? Well, and thanks, Jim. I think this was an interesting crash uh, for the NTSB from the perspective that I mentioned before of when we can have a unique contribution to an investigation. Um, and the NTSB has looked at the effects of automation uh, in aviation, as you mentioned, you, you follow a lot of aviation uh, investigations. Automation is frequently an issue that we talk about in those crashes, um, but it's also uh, with trains and with marine ships, we've dealt with this. So this is kind of right at the cusp of, you know, this new technology coming on board on the highway. And one of the reasons why it's just starting to come on board is the complexity of, of driving in the highway scene with so close tolerances, you know, vehicles are very close together. So we think that we have a perspective to bring in the highway world about automation. And so we heard about this. And as this is new, we're learning as other people are learning of how to investigate it. So it, it gave us an opportunity to learn what's available uh, when we do an investigation with an automated vehicle, but also some of the some of the difficulties there is in, in moving the highway realm to an automated uh, automated systems. Okay, so on, on this particular occasion then, uh, what did your findings reveal about this incident or what did you learn about uh, the, the dynamics of uh, human-driven vehicles and autonomous me uh, vehicles mixing it up together on the same roadway? Well, I think certainly we all are in the position when we're driving of looking around us, making uh, a maneuver and expecting all the vehicles around us to, to perceive what we're doing. So as this truck driver's backing into the alley, um, it's very obvious, his backup uh, signal's happening, his lights are working, so it's very obvious to anyone around. Uh, but the difficulty is the, the brains of the automated shuttle really was good at detecting that there was an object in the path, but not necessarily picking up the fact that it's moving towards the vehicle and it's backing because it's expecting it to be moving away. So you get to look at some of that logic and see that despite you or I looking at that truck and knowing it's going to be moving towards me, just as the nature of the move it's making, you know, that's not necessarily programmed into the automated uh, system. So we're able to look at that. 
The other part that was interesting to us is um, as we looked at it, uh, it was aware, the driver was aware that the vehicle was going to be hit by the truck, uh, but there was nothing he could do about that. Um, he did have a control system that he could have uh, used. However, they'd stored it in a glove compartment. And, and the whole reason that operator was on that vehicle is that was one of the conditions why you can test this vehicle if you have an operator and if that operator is able to intervene to prevent something like this from happening. Um, and they had stored the, um, you know, it's basically a game controller that allowed it to the driver to control the shuttle. <laughs> But, uh, you know, they put it in a, a glove compartment because they expected it would only be use, used when something obvious happened. And, you know, it, this shuttle, as autonomous as it was, was really on a very defined track that had been carefully um, mapped out. And so if something got in the way that was in its lane, it couldn't move around it on its own. The driver would have to take over. So it was prepared. he was prepared to do things like that but not necessarily prepared to act if someone started to back into him. Interesting. It, the backing maneuver, uh, the truck backing into the alley, happens hundreds of thousands of times every day. Uh, there is you know, that blind spot where the truck driver uh, cannot see what's approaching from the blind side of the truck. Um, but I think there's a level of expectation, certainly amongst truck drivers, first of all, A, to make sure the area is clear before starting the maneuver. Uh, B, sometimes because of the dynamics of the situation, the traffic being what it is, they basically, the drivers have to kind of bluff their way into that maneuver, trying to clear a space for themselves if, if the traffic isn't letting them. So by proceeding to back up and proceeding with the backing maneuver, uh, the trucker is sending a message to the other road users that, hey, I have to back up and uh, I expect you to stop and wait and give me room to finish this maneuver. Now, Mostly that happens. Sometimes cars get pretty impatient. But in this case, uh, where the, the driver of the truck might have expected a vehicle to stop, and this little autonomous thing didn't, you actually faulted the driver. Or not faulted, that's not quite the right word, but you found the driver's decision to continue with the maneuver as part of the causal factors in this, in this incident. How could that driver be expected to know that this vehicle wasn't going to behave in the way that he's been led to expect throughout his driving career. So, you know, again, that was um, something that because that was kind of precipitating the crash, we, we do bring that up as a factor. Again, we're not trying to blame anyone. No, I understand that. Yeah. But that was a factor in the decision for him to back there was a factor. Um, and, you know, his expectation that this, shuttle would act in a way that you or I might drive uh, is a factor without putting any blame. Um, you know, I think we're just trying to say what were the, the factors that led to this collision. So, you know, it was his deciding to back became a maneuver that this shuttle wasn't programmed to handle. Um, and again, I don't think he really would know that the, pro the programming of the shuttle was that way. And that's one of the things I think as we integrate more with more automated vehicles on the roadway, um, how they react uh, relative to how another driver might react. Uh, so, for example, sometimes the automated vehicles will come to a complete stop and will will take a long time before pulling out into traffic because its routines are such that it needs a margin of safety 
that is much greater than we would normally accept. And so the vehicle behind will get impatient uh, or maybe not even come to a complete stop because they expect the car in front of them to just roll mm-hmm. through a, uh, uh, onto a, you know, entrance ramp. So, you know, those expectations that you and I have come to know from other drivers around us may be different with automated vehicles. And that's, that's really, you know, what we can learn from this is, you know, we can't just assume the other vehicle is going to act in a way that we're used to acting. I think most people uh, I talk to anyway are are concerned about how the autonomous vehicles, how safe they are, um, mm-hmm. you know, whatever context you want to put that in. But I don't know if a lot of people are, are prepared to accept very different behavior from these vehicles and how we drive. You and I, like you, the incident or the example you mentioned, rolling through a stop sign or rolling up a, 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 an acceleration ramp onto a freeway. Um, if these things are risk averse and programmed to be extraordinarily safe for all good reasons, of course, what, how are we going to adjust <laughs> to that new paradigm when we have to change our driving habits in order to accommodate these autonomous vehicles? And how is, is it really obvious in these cases that uh, the truck, these autonomous vehicles are going to behave very differently? And how, how do we get human drivers to anticipate and expect that? Well, that's where I think, you know, we need to make sure that as these vehicles are being put out on the road and, you know, this shuttle was a a test vehicle. um, And so what is the company that's putting them out to to try this technology doing to ensure safety? You know, have they done all the testing they need to do around kind of, you know, normal uh, driving situations? Have they, you know, tested it through simulations? So that they know the software is going to react in ways that are predictable for the other drivers. Um, And that's something that the board has been uh, concerned about is making sure that companies that are putting these vehicles uh, in the same environment as other drivers are doing the necessary safety work before doing that. And that's something we've called on um, NHTSA to require companies to submit a safety action plan of what they're going to do and have Mm -hmm. required elements of that. Right now, that's voluntary, and what people generally submit it can sometimes be more of a sales um, brochure than really the a very thoughtful safety uh, program. Well, I've read a couple of those uh, voluntary safety assessment reports from the uh, autonomous vehicle or the truck autonomous, autonomous companies, and yeah, you're right. Some of them are more or less sales propaganda and investor propaganda more than a, a hard factual document of what they do for safety. Um, uh, as the agency, has NTSB been looking um, at this issue sort of generally, just hasn't reported on it yet. Well, where are you folks on autonomous so, vehicles and safety with regard to what the DOT requires of the companies? So, again, this is new technology. Um, we've done a number of investigations. Uh, you know, we, we did an investigation in Tempe of a, uh, a Uber crash. Mm-hmm. That was kind of in a test us environment. Um, and there we, we, we looked at the culture of safety and the, you know, the plans that uh, Uber had in place. And really, we emphasized the importance for um, safety elements to be in those plans. And, and we called for NHTSA to require those plans and require certain elements to be in it. Um, we've not investigated a truck with automation. Uh, they're, they're certainly out there being tested. 
Uh, it's not come to our attention of a crash to investigate. Um, we have investigated some passenger vehicles that have automated systems on board, kind of the way they refer to them is kind of levels of automation. And so level two in which it's controlling your speed and controlling your steering. Um, we've seen places there where, where people are complacent and become over-reliant on those systems. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's where we've, we've made some recommendations to NHTSA to the NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, to put some rules in place for, you know, if you can only use automated systems in certain environments, limit the, those vehicles to only allow the use in those environments. Um, you know, if something is critical that the driver maintains um, attention and, and stays kind of in the driving task, make sure there's a system within the automated uh, programming of the vehicle that is checking the driver to make sure they are attentive. So, so in, in those cases, you know, those, I think, crashes that we've looked at, um, you know, the Uber crash and some uh, Tesla crashes we've looked at help everybody who's designing automated vehicles know some of the things they need to be considering before uh, they start testing these vehicles on the road. Okay. I think that's a pretty, pretty solid uh, summary of what happened there. Uh, just before we move on to the next one, um, are there any specific conclusions that, you know, either the autonomous industry can draw from the, uh, the minor little fender bender there in Las Vegas or, you know, what the industry, the trucking side can do to uh, prepare for the onslaught of this technology? I think reminding people that, that as we're in this early stage, the critical nature of the um, operator um, to be present and engaged in monitoring uh, the automated systems. Uh, in this case, had the uh, driver had the controls uh, he could have avoided this. He clearly saw this happening and was was banging on the window of the shuttle to try and get the truck's attention, um, but couldn't blow a horn because he had the controller out of his hands. Um, you know, but the same thing with regard to any novel situation we deal with, uh, people are really good at detecting those and responding. Um, so, you know, not jumping to let's fully automate things and completely get rid of the driver because I think you introduce new types of errors. Um, and so make the automation work with the driver. We're talking with Rob Malloy. He's the director for the director of the Office for Highway Safety at the National Transportation Safety Board. Rob, we're going to take a short break here. And when we come back after the break, we're going to talk about that uh, June 2009 crash in Miami, Oklahoma. I'm Jim Park. You're listening to HDT Talks Trucking. We'll be back with Rob Malloy right after this. HTT Talks Trucking is brought to you by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, a relationship-building event hosted by Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine. HTTX is loaded with topical discussions and learning opportunities with some of the most innovative people in the business. HTTX 2021 takes place May 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Managers of Class 7 and 8 fleets apply now to be our guest at HTTX 2021. To learn more and to apply, go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com. Okay, we're back with Rob Malloy, the Director of the Office for Highway Safety at NTSB. Uh, this crash uh, we're going to talk about now was a little more spectacular than the one that occurred in Las Vegas that we just discussed. June 2009, um, a, a driver 
was uh, driving down Highway or Interstate 40 in Oklahoma. Um, had a moment of, uh, I think, what we could call a lack of situational awareness and wound up piling into uh, a line of stopped cars uh, uh, along the freeway for uh, a previous accident that had that had occurred uh, a few moments earlier. Now, Rob, what sort of interested me with this accident uh, was the fact that from a compliance standpoint, the driver was absolutely in compliance with all the hours of service rules. The vehicle was in good condition. Uh, there was nothing there that you could uh, hang on anybody for saying, well, they were breaking the law and operating outside the, the envelope. Why did you decide to take up this one as, as an investigation? Uh, that sort of crash is is not unusual, I think, in, in day-to-day life. So what made this one special? Well, I think, Jim, you're exactly right. This crash isn't unusual. Um, and we we hope at the board that we can get to a point where it is unusual. I would agree, yeah. Good plan. So, we have we have cases where vehicles come upon stopped uh, you know traffic cues and they don't react and so you know whatever the reasons causing them not to react you know that is something that you know those types of collisions can be very um, uh, severe and this was uh, a severe collision with uh, ten people dying as a result. Um, but we, we hear about that too much. Um, and I think that's why we picked that up is to try and see what can we do to, you know, improve, uh, and the safety, uh, of vehicles that get caught in, in traffic or, you know, in a backup due to an accident in this case. Well, I think at first blush, if you were to look at that crash from 40,000 feet, you'd probably come to one of two conclusions. And that was either the driver was asleep or inattentive for some reason. Uh, taking his eyes completely off the road for some extended period of time. How did you in- investigate this, and, and how did you come to the conclusions that you finally did that uh, he was probably, uh, well, very certainly probably, <laughs> asleep and, and not paying attention to what was going on around him? How did you come to those conclusions? Yeah, a lot of what we do investigation-wise is is rule things out. I, I think you characterize the, the crash very well in the, the loss of situation awareness. There was no braking, no steering, um, no actions by the truck driver to avoid the collision uh, into the back of his queue of vehicles. So we begin to look at a, a series of things. You know, could a medical event have happened and he lost consciousness? Well, we had no evidence of that being a possibility. Uh, just before the crash, about you know less than a minute, he maneuvered his truck around another vehicle. So that kind of ruled out medical. Uh, we look for distraction and we look at, at cell phone usage, um, but we had no evidence of that um, while we were looking at the, uh, the, the driver's cell phone records. Um, we did have, as we were looking at the medical records, an indication that you know the driver had had concerns about sleep apnea before. Um, and we found out afterwards, too, that he'd, he'd gone to the doctor again to get tested for sleep apnea, and he ended up with mild sleep apnea. Um, he, the driver wouldn't talk to us, um, but some of the things that he's mentioned to his uh, sleep doctor uh, were basically when he would normally go to sleep when he was working, and that would generally give him only five hours of sleep. And he also worked at the kind of in the middle of the night shift. Uh, he would begin his, his day occasionally at 3 a.m., um, but when it wasn't working, he would sleep you know, through to 8 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, 
we, we would see those factors like, you know, he had mild sleep apnea. He only had five hours of sleep typically when he worked. This was at a time he normally would be sleeping. Uh, he started and he's driving. Um, and then when he had the crash, you know, it's around uh, kind of your post-lunch dip in your um, circadian rhythms or kind of, you know, just where we all get tired from that in mm-hmm. that afternoon. Yeah. You know, so, so all of those factors, you know, he changed his kind of time he normally would sleep. He slept less than usual. Uh, he had a medical condition that would make it even less productive sleep when you got sleep. Um, all of those factors came together to really indicate that that was the most likely, you know, the probable cause for this crash. And we talk a lot about compliance and hours of service rules and things that drivers have to follow. Uh, we ruled out a compliance question here. He wasn't running, you know, longer than he should have. But there, there's a moral responsibility, I think, amongst drivers to uh, to take their obligation for sleep pretty seriously because they're out there uh, in traffic with the general public. And, you know, big trucks and tired drivers do represent a, a, a fairly serious problem. We, we know about fatigue management, and there are fatigue management programs out there that were developed, you know, 10 years ago. Why isn't something like fatigue management um, as urgently pursued, do you think, as just pure compliance with hours of service? To tell you the truth, Jim, I, I'm surprised because I think it really would be so beneficial to truck drivers to, to be a part of fatigue management. Um, they work in a career that, you know, is really requires a lot of time um, and, you know, long hours. And with those long hours comes the possibility of fatigue. Um, so ways to mitigate that fatigue beyond just complying with the rules are important. Um, you know, things such as sleep apnea are, are, are very, um, make it very difficult for you to get adequate rest. Mm-hmm. Without that adequate rest, your life, you know, you're tired all the time. Your health is, is deteriorated. You know, finding out you have that and getting treated for that really just brings about a better life for you totally. Um, knowing about ways to make sure you're scheduling yourself so that you're not becoming fatigued. You know, nobody, nobody really likes being tired all the time. So thinking of the ways that they can prevent that uh, will make everyone more productive as, as, lo- as well as healthier and safer. Um, so how the scheduling is, you know, having your company really care about fatigue from the owner down to the s- dispatcher to everyone, again, make sure that nobody's setting you up for fatigue related accident by the way they schedule or they hold you over time, uh, making you more tired. So there's so many things that can be done. And, you know, this concept that we can just power through tiredness, mm-hmm. um, is, is just not true. Yeah. And sometimes we're just you know, not good at many times, we're not good at knowing our own fatigue. Um, so, you know, all of that preventive measures will, you know, improve safety, but it will also improve your life and your health. During the course of the investigation, did you come across any uh, reasons or, or barriers uh, as to why this driver may not have pulled over for a nap if he felt tired prior to the crash, uh, you know, pull into a rest area for 20 minutes? Uh, was there any indication that he was under time pressure to get back to the terminal or uh, any factors there that you found in the investigation? We, we in this case, didn't see anything as far as, you know, a dispatch schedule that, that forced him to, to drive long hours. 
Uh, and he actually had several days where he wouldn't work, you know, several days off between uh, times he would have to work, you know, and so I don't think there was a lot of pressure on him. I don't think this is a case of, um, you know, there just not being a truck uh, rest area that he could pull over into. Mm -hmm. I think this fell more into, you know, he was just going through his routine and, you know, fatigue is something that catches up with you and you're not again aware yeah. that it is or you think you know i just got a little bit further to go i can make it yeah and these micro sleeps are if beyond that they happen insidiously you don't even really realize that you're that you're falling asleep until you are yeah we, i mean again we've we've looked at research that that you know people are doing that micro sleep head bobbing and when you ask them are, they, are you fatigued they'll report no i was i was really alert <laughs> so you know yeah. it's just it's it's interesting how poor we are at really knowing how fatigued we are. Okay, so that's two crashes. A uh, bit of insight into how they might have occurred and uh, and how your investigations revealed what actually happened. I'll give you the floor for a second here, and if you want to basically talk about anything that uh, concerns you from an accident investigator's pr- perspective, uh, related specifically to trucking at this particular point in time, what's what's keeping you awake at night? Thank you, Jim. Uh, you know, again, I think, you know, right now uh, we're in an interesting time where there's not as much traffic on the roads. Um, and in many ways, that's that's good for a truck driver. Um, but we're also seeing that, you know, people are becoming riskier. And this is just all drivers, uh, much more speeding in this environment because they, they're able to. Uh, so we haven't seen fatalities We've seen overall number of fatalities drop, but the percentage of fatal crashes is increasing, and that that is concerning. Um, I think the combination of you know the temptation to speed because of the openness of the roads. I think as we're having difficulties just kind of interacting with people uh, in this current season, uh, we're relying a bit more on electronic devices uh, to allow communication, um, and that increases the potential for us to not put that phone down while we're driving. Um, so, you know, avoiding distraction, avoiding the, the speeding. Um, we've talked a, a bit about the fatigue and, you know, uh, we've seen some adjustments to allow more flexibility in hours of service. Um, I think um, for many truckers, they think that will be a really good thing. Uh, I think we're just hopeful that they will, again, be more vigilant on making sure they're getting proper rest and they're operating, you know, without being fatigued. Mm-hmm. So those are, those are some of the things, you know, trying to avoid the temptation to speed because the roads are more open, um, taking care of yourself and making sure you're getting the rest you need and putting down those electronics, even though today it seems like everybody wants to be connected. We, we really need to make sure we're focused just on driving. Okay. And one more question. I'll just uh, toss this one out quickly. Uh, Autonomous trucks, uh, they're coming, they're on the road now, uh, albeit with safety drivers on board. Uh, NTSB worried at all about uh, the rapid pace of uh, adoption of these things and then they're soon to be, I guess, proliferation <laughs> on the highways? So from my perspective, um, the concerns we have are making sure it's done with the proper safety controls in place. Uh, we've seen the evolution and, you know, by, I've been at the safety board for 25 years. I've seen a number of crashes related to automation and 
you know, we need to learn from those crashes. And so as we implement it in kind of the highway domain, um, just because we can do it doesn't necessarily mean we should do it. And the concept that if I take the human out of controlling the vehicle, there's no more error, um, I think is, is a panacea that isn't really true. Um, so I think we need to be focused on that. Uh, one thing I take as an encouragement um, in the other modes, as much as they've been able to implement automation, you know, we're not flying on planes without pilots uh, because people have, again, realized the critical nature of the human um, maintaining uh, oversight or, you know, the safety of the system. And I see the same thing happening with trucks. I think as a society, uh, we're not quite comfortable with not having that responsible truck driver uh, behind the wheel. Um, so I, I think we're a long ways off from the safety driver being removed. Uh, and I'm happy about that. Well, Rob, that was a fascinating discussion. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, you know, as I said, I'm a accident investigation junkie. So it was nice to learn a bit more about NTSB's perspective and all this. And I hope, uh, I hope some people can take something away from it. Good discussion. Great, Jim. Thank you again for this opportunity. And I, again, I know so many truck drivers are out there trying to do what's right and safe. And again, I agree with you. I hope they take something from this that improves their ability to stay safe. We'll talk soon, Robert. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Jim. HDT Talks Trucking is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. HDTX 2021 takes place May 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to view the agenda and apply to be our guest at HDTX 2021. The NTSB website has tons of accident reports for your perusal, including the two we talked about on this episode. You'll find links to those reports in the podcast descriptions. And if you're interested in alternative fuels, Season 4 of HDT Talks Trucking is right up your alley. You won't want to miss Episode 5, where HDT Editor-in-Chief Deb Lockridge and I discuss what we learned in writing the cover story about alternative fuels for the October 2020 issue of Heavy Duty Trucking. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you subscribe so you won't miss an episode, and please leave us a review or a comment while you're at it. HDT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording an audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening. Thank you.